Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. I think you'll realize that in discussing the Gospel of the Kingdom, we are in fact discussing the nature of the Christian faith. The Gospel is a synonym for the faith itself, and so no question can be more important than the one which deals with the definition of the content of the saving message, the gospel, as Jesus brought it to us. We're convinced that any scholar, in fact anyone with an ordinary reading ability of the Bible, can determine for himself or herself that the kingdom of God was in fact the sum and substance of the messianic message of Jesus, the gospel of salvation. That can be established quite easily. By looking at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus as recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that the essence of Jesus' ministry is encapsulated in the phrase, Kingdom of God. There really can be little doubt about that fact. It's interesting to note that scholars who are often divided on nearly every issue having to do with New Testament scholarship are in fact united in their view that the Kingdom of God was the basis of Jesus' whole message and mission. If you ask a student of the Bible what the gospel message of salvation consists of, you will almost certainly get the reply that Jesus died for our sins and Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. I wonder if you stop to ask yourself, is that in fact what the Bible teaches as the gospel? If we open a Bible and begin to read the accounts of Jesus preaching of the gospel, we will notice at the outset that Jesus did not come into Galilee saying, Repent and believe in the good news that I died for your sins and am going to rise from the dead. Those were not the facts that Jesus put before the public for salvation. So what facts did he put to his audiences as the gospel? Did he in fact urge people to believe in his death and resurrection? The fact is that he did not. Not according to Matthew, Mark and Luke. Jesus began in Galilee, not with an announcement about his death, but with an announcement about what he called the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. We read in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming God's gospel. And he said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is approaching. Repent and believe in that gospel. In the gospel, that is, about the kingdom of God and its near approach. Now note carefully that Jesus did not say a word at this stage about his death and resurrection. He commanded belief in God's gospel, that's to say, his Father's good news, the gospel concerning the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus told us the reason for his whole ministry. He stated in very clear terms that he must, and I quote, proclaim the gospel about the kingdom of God to the other cities also. That's the reason why God commissioned me. End of quotation from Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Now later, Jesus dispatched the disciples to announce the very same gospel message. We read in Luke 9, verses 2 and 6, that he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, and they departed and began going everywhere among the villages, preaching the gospel, as to say, the gospel about the kingdom of God. Now, what then was this gospel message about? 
Was it about the death and resurrection of Jesus? Emphatically not. The disciples did not at that stage even believe that Jesus was going to die and be raised. Long after they'd been preaching the gospel, as we find in Luke chapter 9 verse 6, they still did not accept the idea of Jesus' death and resurrection. In fact, when it was finally put to them a third time in Luke 18 verses 31 to 33, Luke reports that Jesus described his coming death and resurrection but that the disciples did not understand any of those things. You'll find that in Luke chapter 18, verse 34. And yet these same disciples had been preaching the gospel, as we find in Luke 9, verse 6, and verse 60, and in Luke 10, verse 9. They had been preaching the gospel in the absence of any understanding of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Information about the death and resurrection of Jesus was not part of what is called the gospel at that stage. Now, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, those facts about his death and resurrection were, of course, added to the gospel message. But the gospel of the kingdom was still the name of the gospel. What had happened was that the new facts about Jesus' death and resurrection were simply incorporated into and added to the message. However, the good news about the kingdom was still very much the principal subject of the gospel. We read, for example, in Acts 8, verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached to them the good news or gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Acts 8, verse 12. What a wonderfully simple summary of the Christian faith at that stage. It was a matter of intelligent belief in the kingdom of God gospel, including the name of Jesus Christ, without his messiahship and his death for our sins and his resurrection. But the kingdom is still the base of the gospel, just as it had been in the ministry of Jesus before he died. Now, Paul, we read in Acts 19, verse 8, continued to speak out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And so the gospel of the kingdom of God has not suffered any alteration. What has happened only is that the new facts about the death and resurrection of Jesus have been added to it. In uh, a later text in the book of Acts, we read that Paul solemnly testified about the kingdom of God and was trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from morning until evening. And then later, for two whole years, Paul was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll find that in Acts chapter 28 and verse 23 and 31. And I point out particularly the interesting fact that in Acts 28:23, Paul was doing his gospel of the kingdom preaching straight out of the Hebrew Bible. This is a challenge for all of us involved in teaching and preaching. How well would we present the gospel simply using the Old Testament? Could we in fact give a fair account of the gospel of the kingdom by confining ourselves to the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures? Well, Paul apparently found that gospel thoroughly and deeply rooted in the text of the Hebrew Bible. We find that in Acts 28, verse 23. And I note also in passing that Paul summed up his whole mission as he described it in his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 25. He said, I've been going around among you heralding 
the kingdom of God. And that, of course, is exactly how Jesus had described his own mission and message in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. And so you see, the death and resurrection of Jesus are a vital part of the gospel, but not the whole gospel. The biblical gospel announces the coming kingdom of God, a political monarchy to be set up in Palestine with Jerusalem as its capital and its authority extending across the whole world. Jesus the Messiah will return to the earth to administer a new world order. This is the only hope for the world. The gospel invites you to rule with Christ in that coming kingdom. See, for example, Isaiah chapter 32 verse 1 and the famous parable in Luke 19 verse 11 where we find that rulership over cities is promised to those who have been faithful. And again in Revelation chapter 2 verse 26 and 3 verse 21 where Jesus promised a position of rulership in the government which he intends to inaugurate at his second coming. And all that again is, is reiterated in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And once again in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6, there's a massive amount of New Testament text regarding the position of the Christians in the future world government to be inaugurated by Jesus at the resurrection at the second coming of Christ. In order to gain immortality and a place in that coming kingdom, we are invited by Jesus to repent by believing in the good news about that kingdom. We're invited, therefore, to understand and believe and respond to the message of the kingdom. we find that in Matthew 13, verse 19, where the seed of the message, which must take root in the heart of the potential convert, is described as the seed of the kingdom. And that seed or message of the kingdom must lodge in the heart and mind of the convert and it will set him out on the road that leads to final immortality in the coming kingdom. No wonder then that Jesus invites us to seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, verse 33. Through the apostles, he invites us to be baptized and to begin the life of faith and obedience to Christ in preparation for the coming of Jesus to establish his kingdom. Such is the gospel message proclaimed by Jesus and the apostles. Now, the meaning of the term kingdom of God is not obscure in its original Jewish environment. It may have become a nebulous and vague term for us today, but if we go back to the scriptures and read them in their first century Jewish-Palestinian environment, the kingdom of God idea is rather clear. Preaching in the New Testament means proclaiming or heralding the gospel about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, Acts 8.12. Repentance means believing in that gospel of the kingdom, Jesus' own message, and reorienting our lives in a new direction, turning away from disobedience to the Messiah, accepting his message of the kingdom and his death for our sins, and becoming ourselves then communicators of the kingdom message. You find that in Luke chapter 9, verse 60, where Jesus said to a young man who wanted to follow him, Let the dead bury their dead and you go and announce everywhere the kingdom of God, Luke 9, verse 60. Of course, the gospel also means accepting the death of Jesus as a sacrificial atonement and a substitutionary atonement for our sins. Now, the kingdom of God is beautifully defined, amongst many other passages, by Mark chapter 11, verse 10, where the crowds rejoice over the prospects of what they called the coming kingdom 
of our father David. This understanding of the kingdom as a real political monarchy coming to power on the earth received Jesus' wholehearted approval. It was the Pharisees who tried to silence the enthusiasm of the disciples for Jesus and his messianic coming kingdom. In response, Jesus said, If these disciples become silent, the very stones will cry out. Luke chapter 20, verses 39 and 40. Later in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the apostles who had just undergone an intense period of training under Jesus in the affairs of the kingdom, Acts 1, 3, asked if the time has now arrived for the kingdom to be restored to Israel. You'll find that in Acts 1, 6. The New Jerusalem Bible notes that the apostles still expect the messianic kingdom to be the political restoration of David's dynasty. Of course, that's right. This understanding of what the kingdom of God means was, of course, correct. They had been preaching about that kingdom for several years in the company of the Messiah. Certainly, Jesus did not suggest for one moment in his reply that they had an inadequate knowledge of his central theme and the heart of his gospel, namely the kingdom. Simple common sense is sufficient to tell us that the Lord's agents in the preaching of the gospel had understood what the kingdom of God was. How otherwise could Jesus have already entrusted them with the task of proclaiming his gospel of the kingdom, not only in Israel, but to the whole wide world? Call us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. We have some free literature on the kingdom of God we'd like to offer to you for your personal Bible study at home. Remember that Jesus was a Jew whose teaching must be understood in his own first century context. Join us again as we continue to probe these vital questions about life and immortality as Jesus offers it to us in his good news about the kingdom of God.